Good morning. It is a blessing uh, to be together, to have this opportunity to, to worship our Father in heaven, uh, to stir one another up to, to love and good works. I, I do want to take just a moment uh, to remind us of some announcements. We do have the newsletters that have many different announcements, things that we need to be praying about. Uh, but I want to remind us that this coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're doing a series of lessons on song worship with Stephen Rouse from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I sent out an email that should have all the information uh, to, to mo- most of you, uh, but that's going to be 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Friday, and then at 10, 11, and 2.30 on Saturday, uh, and then our normal times on, on Sunday as well. So make plans uh, for that. For the members here, I, I will be sending out an email to uh, coordinate those who may want to, to help uh, providing meals for, for them while they're here. Uh, he will be bringing his uh, wife and three children, one of which is uh, five months old. So we're, we're excited uh, about them coming to be with us. Let's turn our attention uh, now to, to talking about the Holy Spirit once again. We started a series uh, two weeks ago, and I, and I thought today about how I wanted to, to introduce coming back to this topic of the Holy Spirit. And, and I hope that I don't have to convince you how important this topic is. Uh, you know, if, if we were to say, well, how important is the Holy Spirit? That, that would be like saying, how important is God, right? <laughs> Knowing God, understanding him, how we interact, experience, and have a relationship with him is the reason that we're here. And certainly in the New Testament, the gift of God's spirit is inseparably tied to our response to the gospel. Uh, in our experience of salvation. I I do want to pause for just a moment to uh, apologize and maybe clarify something uh, from two weeks ago. Uh, It was brought to my attention that I I referred to the Spirit uh, several times as it rather than than he. Um, And I want to make it clear, I do not intend to imply that the Spirit is some type of impersonal force uh, rather than a, a, a personal being within the Godhead. The spirit clearly within the scripture has agency, has personality in the same sense that Jesus and the father do. Uh, In the New Testament, the word spirit is a neuter word, which means it doesn't have gender. Uh, And so technically, um, as we bring that over into English, uh, there may be a literal sense in which we, since it is neither male nor female, would say it is an it. However, when we in English use the word it, we almost never mean something personal. If I Carl, called Carl an it, uh, you know, I, I would only be doing so to insult him. Uh, and, and so, you know, there, there is a sense in the scripture where it is neither male nor female. And so most of our translations are going to try to give us that idea of personality by translating it he. Um, if I do slip into saying it, just let me make it very clear at this point that my intent um, is to, to treat the spirit as a personal being, which I believe the scripture shows us that it is. As we delve back into the spirit today, uh, I want to reiterate a challenge to you. I want to challenge you to start with a clean slate. Clear out all your preconceptions, what you think you know about the Spirit, what you think you've experienced, what you think you are supposed to or not supposed to believe about the Spirit, uh, and build your understanding of God's Spirit from the ground up on what God has told you, has told us within the Scriptures. 
Um, I hope that's what we can do together in these studies. Approach the Spirit with an open mind, an open heart, and certainly an open Bible. We started our, our study two weeks ago by talking about the Spirit as the breath of life. The, the Hebrew word translated Spirit, ruach, uh, literally uh, means can mean breath or wind. It also means spirit, calling our minds to this idea of an unseen source of power or of life. In one sense, God's spirit is what animates, gives life to all of creation, human and animal alike. Um, Yet God promises to give us life through his spirit in a much truer and deeper sense, Uh, not just animating our fleshly bodies, Uh, but animating our souls to a new spiritual life, a new birth that's intended to reproduce his character, uh, the fruit of his spirit within us. Today, I want to move on to talk about God's spirit as the blessings of his presence. Uh, We started last time with the very first verse where the spirit is mentioned to us. The very second verse of our Bible is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. And we see that from the beginning, God's spirit reflects his attentive presence to the needs of his creation. Genesis 1 and verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, Literally uh, moving, fluttering over the, the face of the waters. From the very beginning, we're we're introduced to this idea um, of God's attentive presence moving upon the surface of the waters to address the needs of his fledgling creation. Uh, This word hovering there is actually used in Deuteronomy 32 to describe God once again in his relationship to Israel. Uh, In Deuteronomy 32, we see this picture of God as an eagle taking care of Israel as its young. Uh, And this eagle is is fluttering over its young, uh, encircling it with its wings, protecting them, seeing to their needs. And so it holds this idea uh, of being present and attentive. And there's one sense in which God's attentive presence uh, is everywhere. In one sense, God is omnipresent, uh, unseen yet active and perceptive at all times and in all places. We see this idea most clearly in Psalm 139, if you'd like to turn over there. Psalm 139, starting in verse 7, notice what David says about God's spirit. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. You notice there in verse 7, he's talking about God's spirit and the parallelism, Hebrew parallelism, uh, a function of of Hebrew poetry. He compares spirit with presence in verse 7. This is not the last time we're going to see that comparison in the scripture. We'll see it all throughout. But he makes it clear that wherever 
he is. Um, from the heights of heaven to the depths of the grave, from the rising of the sun in the east to its setting in the west, from the brightness of noonday to the deepest, darkest corner of creation, God is there. His spirit is there. Essentially, any time we see a reference to the invisible or imperceptible presence of God within the scriptures, we're talking about God's spirit. Just as breath and wind are invisible, yet active, powerful, and life-giving, God's spirit is often invisible, imperceptible, yet at work all around us, present and active in all of creation. But not always is God's spirit talked about in this omnipresent way. Uh, Many times the presence of God's spirit is something more specific. Often God's spirit is described as the blessings of his gracious and attentive presence dwelling in the midst of his people. Look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. This is one of the few passages in the Old Testament that uses the more common New Testament phrase of the Holy Spirit. Um, Isaiah 63, starting in verse 11. Here, um, God talking about his people, Israel. He says in verse 11, Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the, uh, out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert. They did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Here, when God is leading Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, it says that he gave his Holy Spirit to dwell among them, to guide them ultimately to rest in verse 14. How exactly did God do that? How was it that God's spirit, God's presence was in the midst of Israel within the wilderness? Well, look back at Exodus 33, Because there's a discussion about God's presence being with them. After Exodus 32, where you may remember uh, Aaron building this golden calf at Mount Sinai, uh, the people rebelling against God uh, and and, uh, bowing down to this graven image. After that, in Exodus 33, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. Initially here, in reaction to the, this people's continual rebellion uh, against him, he says, I'm not going to go with you. I'll send an angel. I'll send you up there. I'm going to fulfill this promise, um, but I'm not going to be there. Well, in response to that, we see the people hear this from Moses' mouth. They mourn and they weep 
at what God has said. And down in verse 12, we see Moses interceding on behalf of the people as he often does. In the Exodus 32 verse 12, it says, 33 in verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Verse 14, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's exactly what Isaiah 63 is talking about. God's presence with them, God's spirit, God's Holy Spirit being in their midst and leading them to rest. How exactly was God's presence among them? How did they know that God's spirit was among them? Uh, Well, very visibly to the Israelites, we see that that God uh, led them by a, a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire that would dwell over the tabernacle. His glory filled uh, the most holy place in the tabernacle. Uh, And that that was a visible representation to them of this deeper concept that God was with them. God's presence, God's spirit was with them. But, But all of that outward demonstration was pointing towards something deeper, pointing towards something truer, uh, that his blessings, his provision, his guidance, his faithful watch and care was with them. We see that miraculous manifestations often made God's presence, God's spirit known, but they pointed towards a deeper reality of God's providential care, guidance, and blessing. You know, when Moses is there in Exodus 33 saying, God, go with us, show us your ways, what, what, what is he asking? Is he saying, God, you know that, that big pillar of cloud and fire, that, that, that's pretty cool. Do you, do you think you could continue to do that for us? Is that what Moses is saying? No, he's saying, don't, don't leave us on our own. We need you. And so that's just the outward demonstration of a deeper truth that God is with his people, that God's attentive watch and care, his presence is with his people. We say the same idea Numbers chapter 11, uh, another place early on where we see God's spirit mentioned. Numbers chapter 11, um, earlier in this chapter, we see Moses cries out to God because the Israelites are acting like a bunch of whiny babies, basically. He says in verse 12 of Numbers chapter 11, uh, did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nursing, uh, as a nurse carries a nursing child? He's saying, I can't handle this all on my own. I can't handle these people on my own. And so what God does in verse 16 of Numbers 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you, And put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. 
Look down in verse 24 and 25 when God actually does this. He says in verse 25, So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. You see what's going on here? God's presence in the cloud uh, comes down. God is making it clear that his spirit, uh, his, the, the blessings of his presence, that, that he has, has been at work through Moses is now being given to these other men. And initially, that's demonstrated by them prophesying. But, but is that the totality of what that was? the totality of what that meant for them to have the spirit that now they're going to be able to prophesy. It says they did it this once and they didn't continue to do it. That was an outward demonstration of a deeper truth that that God was uh, investing these men with authority, that he was blessing their work among the people, that he was going to be working in them and through them, using them as agents to accomplish his purpose. And so there was an outward manifestation of that, but that was not the totality of what the Spirit was. No, the Spirit was given to these men to show that God was working through them. God was working in them and through them. We see the same idea in 1 Samuel 10. 1 Samuel 10, in verse 6 and 7, you remember when Samuel anoints King Saul, Here in chapter 10, verse 6 and 7, it says in verse 6, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, talking about Saul, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. So here, when... when Samuel anoints Saul as king. He's told, among other things, that God's spirit is going to rush or prosper upon him and he's going to prophesy. Is is Saul among the prophets? Uh, Well, it's it's not that Saul is going to continue now to serve as a prophet. What, What this was is one of many signs. Do you see that? In verse 7, it says, now when these signs meet you, there are a few other signs, but, but what were those signs pointing towards? That God was going to be with him, verse 7. That God was going to be working with him and through him. Uh, and so the idea of Saul receiving God's spirit was not simply that he was now going to be able to prophesy. That was an outward manifestation pointing towards a deeper truth that God was going to be with him And so miraculous manifestations, prophecy, were not the be-all, end-all of what it meant to have God's spirit. Um, In these cases, it's just functioning primarily as evidence that these people had been given God's spirit. The most foundational or fundamental aspect of God giving his spirit is him being with someone. God being with us, granting blessing and success for the accomplishment of his purpose. I want to look at quite a few passages here just to to drive this point home for us. We're going to start in the book of Judges. 
Because we see God's spirit at work quite a few times through the judges. Uh, These are uh, men that God, men and women that God uh, commissioned to to save and to to lead, to guide his people. Notice in Judges chapter 2 and in verse 18, here we read kind of a summary statement of what God is doing through these judges. It says in chapter 2 and verse 18, Whatever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. What, what does that mean when it says God is with the judge? Well, well God, God's presence <laughs> is operating through this judge. Not always in a miraculous way. In fact, most times not. But God is at work in and through these judges. Let's see that with the very first judge. Judges chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, we read about Othniel. It says, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest 40 years, then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Othniel had the spirit. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. How do we see that manifesting itself? Did he speak in tongues? Did he prophesy? Did he work miraculous healings? We're not told that he did any of those kinds of things. What we're told is that God was working through him to deliver his people. That God caused his hand to prosper uh, against their enemies in order to save his people. God was present and God was active in the life uh, and work of Othniel. His spirit was upon Othniel. Well, let's look a little farther. Judges chapter 6, we read about Gideon. Judges chapter 6, starting verse 12 and 13 says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, please my Lord, if, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that your fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Here, this angel comes and he tells Gideon, God is with you. And what, what's Gideon's response? I don't see that to be the case. <laughs> um, I, I know God was with Israel. God was with them, uh, guiding them, bringing them out of the Red Sea, out of Egypt. We see his mighty works that evidenced his presence among them then. But, but I just don't see that now. Well, the angel assures him that Gideon is God's working. That God is going to work through Gideon. It says down in verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Verse 17, And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. And so he does ask for a sign, and we see uh, you know, the angel uh, ascending um, here in the sacrifice. Uh, And so there is an outward sign evidencing that what the angel has said is true, but the sign is not God's presence. It's an evidence of God's presence. 
It's evidence that God is going to be with Gideon. Do you know how that's talked about later in the same chapter? Judges chapter 6 and verse 34. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. Okay, now we're told Gideon is clothed with the spirit. How do we see that? Does, does Gideon prophesy? Does he work miracles? Does he? Well, no. What, what we see him doing and the way in which he delivers uh, the, the people from the Midianites doesn't obviously seem to be any supernatural act of God, but it is an act of God. God is working. God is working through Gideon, his spirit is working through Gideon. We see the same thing with Jephthah later on. Judges chapter 11 and verse 29 tells us, Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And so as he is gathering the armies, as he's getting ready for battle, we're told God's spirit was with him. How do we see that in Jephthah's life? Again, we don't see any clearly outward manifestation of some miraculous working. And in fact, Jebba himself uh, is not that great of a character. Um, we see in his own life, uh, he does some rather immoral things. Uh, he makes a promise to, to sacrifice the first thing that, that comes out from his house. And when he comes home, it's his daughter. You know, d- does that look like a, a spirit filled person to do something like that to sacrifice his own daughter well what what does it mean that the spirit was was upon him god was working through him that doesn't mean everything about jephthah's life was commendable not everything was holy but god's spirit god's presence was active and accomplishing something through uh, Jephthah for his purposes. Same thing with Samson. Samson, in fact, I, I guess is the only of the one of the judges that we very clearly see a supernatural manifestation of the spirit in his life. But once again, uh, it's not manifesting himself in, in any particular holiness in his case. God has chosen to use a very imperfect vessel to accomplish his purpose. And in this case, he does so by, by empowering him uh, with supernatural strength to d- uh, fight against the Philistines. But, but I want you to notice in particular, Judges chapter 16 and verse 20. We could look at many references that talk about the spirit rushing upon uh, Samson or stirring uh, Samson at the end of chapter 13. But look in chapter 16 and verse 20. After the situation with Delilah, when his hair is finally cut, it says in verse 20, and, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. What's happened here? Samson's taken his disobedience and immorality far enough that God has removed his spirit. <laughs> From Samson. God has left him. His presence is no longer active and working through Samson. Um, we'll see he returns later on when Samson does uh, pray in faith once again. But, but do you see this concept throughout the Old Testament that when we talk about God's spirit being upon somebody, that's God being with them. God working in them and through them. Sometimes, yes, miraculously, but not always so. And many times not because that person was particularly uh, holy and righteous with Jephthah or Samson. 
We see the same concept with Saul and David, a very similar situation where where the spirit ends up departing from someone because of their continued rebellion. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. It says in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, talking about David, in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And so we see a transition here. Remember we read in in 1 Samuel 10 that God had caused his spirit to come upon Saul. Saul... uh, does not respond properly to the blessings of God's presence. God, he is not obedient to the Lord. And so eventually God removes his spirit and uh, instead his spirit rushes upon David from that day forward. Look a little bit later though, 1 Samuel 18, verse 12 through 14. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 12 says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. What what does it say here? Here, the Lord has left Saul and the Lord has come to David. How was that said two chapters earlier? The spirit had left Saul and the spirit has come upon David. How, how is that evident? You know, it is certainly true that, that David does write inspired psalms. Is that the primary thing that we're talking about here, though? Jared read for us from Psalm 51. Remember, when David has sinned and uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba um, and arranging for Uriah the Hittite to be killed. Remember what David says there in Psalm 51 and verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. There again, we see his presence, his spirit being used uh, as parallel ideas. And what is David asking? Is David saying, God, I just really like being able to write these inspired Psalms. And it would be really sad if you don't let me do that anymore. Obviously, that is not what he's asking at all. David is saying, don't leave me. God, I need you. I need fellowship with you. I need a relationship with you. I need your presence, your blessing in my life. I I can't do without you. I can't live without you. I need you as my rock, my fortress, my strength. Don't take your spirit away from me. Brother, that's what we're talking about. We talk about the spirit in the scripture. Is a relationship with God, is his presence being with us, watching over us, blessing us, being active, working in our lives. And if we haven't made this connection clear by now, you look into the New Testament, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the same language is used to describe Jesus. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, uh, talking, Peter talking to Cornelius and his household said, you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with his Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Certainly that manifested itself in him having power to to work miracles. It manifested itself certainly in in his character and doing good to those around him. 
But once again, we see that connection between God's spirit coming down and anointing Jesus and that being active and working through his life, evidence that God the Father was with him. So what does all that mean? We see this inseparable parallel between God's presence and God's spirit, God being with somebody. But what exactly does it mean for God to be with us? I want to go to an earlier passage where we don't see the spirit talked about, but once again, we see this language of God being with somebody. In fact, one of the earliest passages in scripture where we see this concept, Genesis chapter 39, we're going to read verses one through three. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Verse two, The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. How did Potiphar see that God was with Joseph? Again, that same language that's connected with God's spirit in other passages. Well, it is true that Joseph did see some, some dreams that he wasn't able to interpret dreams. Is that what Potiphar noticed? Doesn't seem so. No, he saw God's blessing in his life. He saw God's working in his life, causing everything that he did to, to, to prosper. I think when we think about this concept of the work of God's spirit in our lives, when we think about the idea of having God's spirit with us, We're talking about his blessings. Many times we use the word providence. When when we want to describe God working in our lives, um, but not in necessarily a supernatural or miraculous way, we talk about God's providence. That's not an unbiblical idea. That's not necessarily a biblical word, though. You know, if if we were to talk about God providing for us, that's really what that word providence comes Uh, through maybe the more natural uh, happenings of life. Do you know what what we might say from a biblical perspective? That's the work of God's Spirit in our lives. God's Spirit is the unseen power of God, like the wind, like the breath, at work within our lives. And so I think we need to do a lot more giving credit to God's Spirit. I think we need to do a lot more asking for God's spirit to be at work within us. And, and that this is not to say that if God's spirit is present with us, that if God's presence is with us, then everything in our life is just going to go perfect. And we're, and we're going to be blessed with health and wealth. Do, do you know what the very first thing that happens when the spirit comes down on Jesus is? What does the spirit do? Leads him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. God was with Israel in the wilderness, but did that mean they didn't have any hardships? No, God being with us, the shepherd being with us, doesn't mean that we're not going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But it does give us assurance that God is at work. God is at work in our lives, even through the difficulties, even through the trials. I I think about Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, where it talks about us rejoicing even in trials because uh, it produces patience and patience produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And that hope doesn't disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts 
through his Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Even in trials, we rejoice. Why? Because we know God is at work. Because we know God is there. And that gives us an assurance of hope even through the difficulties of life. And the gospel promises us that God will not simply be with us, but within us, granting us a deeper intimacy and fellowship than Israel ever experienced. You see in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he talks a good bit about the Spirit. I'm sure we'll return to these passages in some later studies. But, but in John 14, verse 16 and 17, as he's talking to his disciples shortly before he, his betrayal and arrest, Jesus says here, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit was already at work <laughs> in their lives. He was already with them. They, they, they knew him. They saw his work. They, they had been, in fact, in, empowered earlier as they went out to preach to, to work some signs and miracles to evidence that God was working through them and speaking through them. But Jesus promises that he's going to be with them and even more, he is going to be in them. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Our, our bodies have become the new residence for God's Spirit. And we do not, as, as Israel of old, simply witness God's spirit filling a nearby tent where we can approach to worship, but, but never truly enter in. Our bodies are that tent. Our bodies are that temple. Our hearts are a place of worship. We have the opportunity to experience God's presence and fellowship under the new covenant in a deeper and truer sense than God's people have ever before. I want to look at Acts chapter 2 now. Acts chapter 2, where the presence of God's Spirit is powerfully shown through the speaking of tongues, through the, the, the fire, tongues of fire, through the mighty rushing wind, calling our minds back to some Old Testament evidences of the Spirit. But notice when the gospel is preached and the people respond, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, Peter says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You know, certainly these people had just seen a powerful demonstration of the spirit at work within the apostles. But that's not the only background here to what it means to receive the gift of God's Spirit. They had a much longer history. These Jewish people who were gathered in Jerusalem had a much longer history of what it meant to have God's Spirit among them. God's Spirit with them. And in fact, look at chapter 3. 
Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, here the gospel is preached once again, and there's a very similar conclusion in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he tells the people to respond by saying, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you see the parallel there? That you may receive the gift of God's spirit, that you may receive times of refreshing, spiritual renewal from the presence of the Lord. I think those are one and the same. We're talking about God being with us, yes, and even within us. Do you have that? Do you have God's spirit dwelling within you? You might say, well, Grady, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure that I do. Um, how do I know if I haven't? You know, much of the religious world today would say, well, you'll, you'll just know when you have it. It's a better felt than told experience. You'll, you'll just know deep down in your heart. If you really experience it, there'll be no question about it. Is that what the Bible says? I want to look at one last passage together, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We, we see certainly many times throughout the scriptures, there are great outward supernatural manifestations of the Spirit's presence. But in the New Testament, what is the most significant evidence of God's Spirit? Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What's the fruit of God's Spirit? Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits when we're talking about false teachers. What, what, what's the evidence of God's Spirit? Does he say, well, the fruit of the Spirit is speaking in tongues. And the fruit of the Spirit is miraculous healing. And the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is prophecy. No. It says the fruit of the Spirit is God's character at work within your heart and within your life. That's the new life that God has given us. The new birth that he's given us is going to bear fruit. It's going to show and a transformation of character in the way that we live from day to day. We'll, we'll talk more about some of the supernatural manifestations of the Spirit in the New Testament um, in some later lessons. But, but, but I want to leave you with this concept. That if you want to know whether or not you've been given the gift of God's Spirit, His presence with you, the main way that it's going to show is in a transformation of your character and a reproduction of His character within you and through you. Brethren, if you are not bearing the fruit of the Spirit today, then you don't have God's Spirit dwelling within you. That's what the Spirit will do. Maybe it's the case that you've never responded to the gospel. That you didn't do what, what Peter said to do in Acts 2 verse 38. Uh, to repent, turn to God, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, that they might be washed away and that you might receive the gift of God's Spirit. Or maybe you've done that, but you've allowed the sins of your past life to quench 
the Spirit. That's the language used in 1 Thessalonians 5. Maybe you, uh, like Saul, like Samson, have continued to live in such a way that, that you're working against what God has told you to do. Maybe his spirit no longer finds a holy and pure place to dwell within your heart. We need God's help. We need his spirit to produce that kind of character within us. We can't do that on our own. But we need to fully surrender to him. And if, if you recognize that in your life you're not bearing that fruit, that God's spirit is not at work within you, uh, won't you repent today? Won't you turn back to him? Won't you become an empty vessel for his presence to be at work within your life? Need to give a lot more credit to God's spirit. We need to depend a lot more heavily on God's spirit in faith. If you in some way need to respond uh, to the gospel, need to express some repentance, some confession of sin before these brethren, that we might pray for you and with you, that we might help you in returning to the Lord and seeing him at work within you and through you. Won't you let us help you? Um, That's why we're here. If you're subject to the Lord's call uh, today, we ask that you'll make it known by coming forward as we stand and sing together.